Uh, it's good to see everybody here this morning. We, um, I thought we were going to get flooded away. Man, there's some major rain out there. Exciting day today. Uh, I know you guys are in the first service, but we have a baptism uh, next service, a husband and wife that recently got saved, and I'm just excited to see what God's doing there, and I'm going to be seeing another baptism next week, so praise God for uh, the work he's doing, and uh, we want to uh, continue to give him praise. He is so good to us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8, and uh, we have uh, talked about how this first church um, was facing opposition, and last week we were uh, seeing how it's important, again, well, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, how it's important not to confuse uh, the plan of Satan that he has for the church uh, in seeking um, uh, to destroy it with, um, with anything else that goes on because it's important to remember that Satan wants to destroy the church. Uh, the Bible says very clearly he came to seek, uh, to, kill, uh, to kill, steal, and destroy, and uh, he will use any means possible. Uh, we've seen that one of his greatest tactics is deception, and, uh, but he uses so many other things. He likes to distract, um, he likes to discourage, disable, and as we talked about, he likes to divide it. So he'll do everything. He'll do it from without. Again, we've seen this first church uh, deal with attacks from both without and within, and uh, it's so important to remember that if we aren't facing some type of difficulty as we are trying to follow Christ, uh, then we might be in the wrong, going the wrong direction or in the wrong place. Um, and we talked about it's not, not to confuse uh, correction from God. It's not to confuse uh, trials that the Lord allows. Um, and again, attacks that he allows with, with anything. But um, it's, it's, it's vital for us to identify whenever the enemy is attacking. Um, Philip the person that we've been studying has continued in the Lord's command and will, no matter what, uh, do what God has called him to do. Because we've seen, uh, even in the, the, on the heels of um, the, 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 the disciples being martyred, uh, attacks spreading the, the, the church everywhere, Philip continues on. Um, and one of the greatest things that uh, we've seen is God continued to work in the midst of all of that. That's why it's vital for us to follow these examples, take these lessons, and apply them in our lives. It's vital for us to stand in faith, not, not in emotion, not in experience, or the flesh. And the reason why that's important is because what we were, we were introduced with uh, the, the week before. Simon, a man who was a sorcerer. The Bible says that he had influenced all the people in the region of Samaria. Uh, this guy had a grip on these people's affection. He had a grip on their lives. They, that was their uh, belief in God through the sorcery of Simon. And so again, that is, it's concerning to think that there's a whole area of people that could be deceived with this sorcery and that be their connection to God in their minds. It wasn't a, a genuine connection, but it was their connection in their minds to God through this sorcery. And again, I'm so thankful that you and I have the truth. I'm so thankful that we have something to stand on, to follow, to rely on, no matter what the world says, no matter what goes on in our life, no matter what our flesh feels, we can turn to the Word of God and stand on that. Again, Simon had deceived this entire, this entire um, country or uh, area, this region, with this sorcery. In verse 12, we saw uh, there was a turn in the people. 
And we look at that and we say, man, praise God. There, there was, uh, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ was preached by Philip. The people turned, and also there was a turn from Simon. Again, uh, from a false connection to God through sorcery, through a real connection by faith in the gospel. And what we saw was a change in their life. And that's what happens every time. Whenever we see a life change, whenever our lives change because of the gospel, when we get saved, our direction changes. They went from following sorcery to following Jesus Christ. And again, the reason why that happens is the work of the Holy Spirit. The power of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything in our life. And I, I've said it many times from this pulpit, I'll say it again. If your direction when you got saved, didn't change, if your desires didn't change, if they aren't changed, then I would check my salvation this morning. And again, we're going to look a little bit more at that because um, this man, this, this Simon the sorcerer, his life was affected as well. So let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this time again. Thank you for what we've been able to uh, experience already. Uh, Lord, you are, are so good to us, just as the song was saying. And uh, to think about all the things you've done for us, to, to redeem us, to purchase our salvation, to forgive us, uh, pouring out grace on us on a daily basis, Lord, that we could uh, continue on in your work. And God, we, we know that's the reason why we're still here. Even though there's a strong deception, there's a strong pull in this world to make our lives all about the things that we can do, the things that we can get and gain, the jobs we have, Lord, we realize that uh, that's not the reason why we're here. Very clearly, you've told us that we're to be on a mission. And while we have responsibilities to uh, provide for our families and to have families and the, the blessings that come along with the things that you've blessed us with on this earth as well, Lord, we, uh, again, we, we, we're reminded that this is why we're here. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move in this place. If there is somebody who needs to be saved, I pray that you would move in their life, God. We pray that also you would continue to work on our church. Lord, we've been praying for revival want to see revival come, God. We know that just like with the first church and throughout the centuries in the history of the church, revival has always come through adversity and trial. And so I pray uh, you would help us to continue to press forward, continue to be obedient, and uh, we'll praise you for all that you do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we, we continue on this walk through Acts, and again, I, I want to encourage you uh, to, to not just be here, uh, not just be present, but to uh, grab hold of what God is showing us in his word. It's his word, and we gain these lessons, and it's so vital for us to, to grab them and apply them in our life. Verse 13, we continue. It says, Then Simon himself also believed, and, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, you would stand back from that verse and say, Man, praise God. That's amazing. You have Philip first of all, we talked about that leader's lead. He continued doing the work that God had called the church to do, regardless if, if people were being martyred, regardless if the church in Jerusalem, all of them had been scattered to the regions beyond, except the, the apostles stayed there in Jerusalem, if you remember. Philip continues on. He goes down to Samaria, a region that was not liked by the Jews, a people that was not liked by the Jews. And what does he do? He tries to find a new home, tries to establish a new life, Tries to live the good life and comfortable. No, Peter, P, uh, Philip, not Peter, Peter, Peter. Philip goes down to preach the gospel because that's what he was here to do. 
And what happens is God pours out his spirit and the, 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 the people there get saved and they get baptized. And here is Simon the sorcerer who is basically the godfather of Samaria, it appears. He has the control of all of the city because of the sorcery that he, he had done. And the Bible says that he believed and he gets baptized. You would stand back from that and say, man, that's amazing. This influential man in this region gets saved. And he was baptized. And not only that, it says that he continues with Philip. The Greek wording in this means that he was constantly by Philip's side. Think about that. Think about if you saw this influential person in the community, in the state, in the nation, and he gets saved. Not only does he get saved, he gets baptized. Not only does he get baptized, he's hanging out with the preacher all the time, every day, soaking it all up. Can't get enough, it seems. But I want you to look back in that verse and notice a couple of things. Notice what held him captive. Notice what it says at there at the end. It says that he was amazed. At what? Seeing the miracles and signs which were done. And that's interesting to me. It's, it's interesting that everybody who, who got saved got baptized. And, and here's this influential man who had the whole, na uh, the whole region uh, captive with this sorcery. And, and, and he is following on. You would think, man, when we see that uh, as Christians, when we see that as ministers, uh, man, it, it's, it gets you pumped up. You're like, man, this person just got saved. They got baptized. They want to go through discipleship. They, I mean, they, they want to join the church. They, they want to start serving a ministry. They're, they're completely engaged. They're passionate. He's like, man, this is amazing. This is what uh, apparently was going on with Simon. But what we see is that something was holding him there. And it was the signs and the miracles that were being done by Philip. Well, by God through Philip. My first point this morning in our notes, if you, if, you, if you didn't get the digital version, we do have notes on the back. Hopefully you have that. But uh, we started doing that just because I saw some people looking around where, where the notes are. Uh, you can get a digital version on Church Center or started printing some of the uh, physical versions again. But first point is this. Faith is not by sight, but it isn't blind. Faith isn't by sight, but it also isn't blind. And that's saving faith and also walking by faith. Um, Romans 10, 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. And Paul continues, says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? You don't, you don't have to have confident expectation for something that you already see. You know, you, you've been praying that healing would come. You, you've been praying that you would, you, you would be able to get a, a job. You've been out of work. You get that job, and, and why would you continue to, to pray and, and, and trust God to, to get something that you already see or that you're already experiencing? Again, uh, you don't hope for what you already see or what you're already experiencing. But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience or endurance. And faith doesn't come by sight, but it, it's not blind at the same time. It's not like, well, you know, some people believe that Jesus died on the cross, on the cross rose from the grave, and that's the only way to heaven. And, and uh, you know, I, I guess that's the best option that I have. Uh, I really wish he would give me a sign. Again, faith doesn't come by sight. 
But it isn't blind, it's based on truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body he's talking about, is destroyed, if this body gets cancer, if this body gets sick, if this body goes away, this temporal body, that we have a building from God, a house that's not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul is talking something about hope. He's talking about faith. He's talking about confidence. He's talking about where his citizenship is. He's talking about where his life is, where his love is, where his home is, his eternity is. He says, look, if this, something happens to this earthly body, we have a building from God. I have confidence in that. It's a house that's not even made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. What? Paul says we groan. We long to leave this body because we have this earnest desire to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this earthly tabernacle, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. It's not the fact that we, we, we want to experience the pains of death, but we, this is, uh, we have a greater desire beyond that, that, that thought of death, a greater desire to be clothed that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In other words, that will be finally in our eternal home. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Paul, how can you have so much confidence? How, do you, how can you long to be home? How can you long to want to be clothed on with that earthly, I mean, that heavenly body and, 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 and be there? This is because the Spirit of God lives in me. And it's a guarantee that that's going to happen. So, he says, we're always confident. Knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And then he says the words, as we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk by what we can see or feel or touch or handle. We walk by faith. And he says we're confident, yes, well, ra please rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He says we're not only confident, yes, but we're also, we desire even more to leave these earthly bodies and to be present with our Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether we're present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Man, what that is, that is faith based on truth. Again, he says that we walk by faith, not by sight. We see Simon the sorcerer who is seeing this great work of God, seeing these miracles and these, these, these wonders go on. And it has this tug on his flesh. He went, man, this, I want some of that. I mean, I had the people captive, but in, 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 a, in an instant, boom, all the people transferred over to being saved and being baptized. I want some of that. Let's read on, because there's more. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, now they just heard it, they received it, they sent Peter and John to them. It's interesting. Why did Peter and John have to go? Who was Philip? Philip was one of the deacons. And Philip was being obedient. Philip was doing what he was called to do. But Peter and John were the, the apostles that were essentially the leaders of this first church. So they went down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Which is interesting, right? Because we just read Paul's letter to the Romans where he said that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. But here in, in the Acts of the apostles, we see 
that Peter and John come down to Samaria because they heard that they had received the word of God. They were baptized. So they laid their hands on them and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the, uh, he had, uh, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, a few things to address here. Uh, I think it's very important for us to address this. Um, notice the apostles sent Peter and John when word got to them that the word of God was received. I want to point that out again. It wasn't just that they had heard it, it was received. And why was it necessary for them to send apostles? Why couldn't Philip just take care of it? If God was using Philip and, and people were being saved and, and miracles and signs and wonders were being done by the hand of Philip as well, why did apostles have to go down? It's clear in Scripture. We know, we're told that the apostles were the ones that had the authority by Jesus to continue as the foundation of the church being built, the building of the church. They were also the chosen leaders of God for the church. Other churches weren't started. There wasn't another church down the street. There wasn't churches on every corner. Other pastors hadn't been ordained yet. The apostles were the ones who had the authority. They had been given the authority to lead, to govern, to administer, continue the, the work again that Jesus had started with his church. And if you'll notice that Philip, he didn't have this role. Again, he shared the gospel. He was a deacon. He was a leader. He was a servant. He was a follower of Christ. And he was being obedient to share that gospel. People were being saved. Also, we've already addressed this. We'll talk about it a little bit more in just a second. But um, this, this, these apostles had this certain not only authority, but they also had certain apostolic power that was given to them by Jesus himself. Why? So that they could continue the establishing of the church that Jesus instituted. Why? Were they, were they special? They weren't extraordinarily talented people. Again, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were regular people, regular working class pe people. But Jesus had chosen them so that he would be glorified, so that God would be glorified in the church. He chose them to be that group of men that would be the, the leaders in the church, continuing the affirmation of the message of the kingdom that Jesus would bring. And there's no doubt lessons here in Acts that are special during this, this time period because they were apostles. But there's also these lessons that we're learning even now universal lessons again a different purpose was going on in the the time of the apostles than it's going on right now today we're 2,000 years removed from the establishing work of the church jesus started it he chose the apostles they continued on through the apostle paul churches were planted throughout asia minor churches began to spread all throughout the world again the church is already being established and so there doesn't need to be the establishing work the foundational work of the apostles where are we then? We're in the continuing phase. I, I fully believe we're in the anchor leg of the race of the church on this earth. And the church was established, built upon Jesus Christ, the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles. Ephesians chapter 2, so that you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built Here it is, built upon the what foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, what structure is he talking about? Being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in him, you also are being built together in, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. These are just walls of a building. This right here, if you're a child of God, this is the building of God. So how important is this? Well, if the building isn't connected, what happens? It's vulnerable to attack. There's no purpose for which it serves if it's just pieces and not a building. So how vital is it that we are together, that we meet together, that we stay together, we stay unified? Eternally vital. Again, it's clear in Scripture that before the death of Jesus Christ, the temple was the house of God. It was his building. He told him how to build it. He told him where to put the stones and how to make the holy place and how to prepare the sacrifice and do all those things. It was very clear before the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that was the house of God. It's referred to all, all throughout Scripture as the house of God. But after the, after the sacrifice, the building, the temple of God, became the work of Christ's hands, the people of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, it's us. I believe I shared it last week or the week before. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and, and envy and all slander. He's talking to the people of God. That needs to be gone from you. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, talking about Jesus, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, he says, you yourselves, children of God, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, he says. It's an honor to be the building of God. But, he says, for those who don't believe, the stone, Jesus, that the builder rejected, has become a cornerstone. And not only, not only he is that, but he is also a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And those who don't believe, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, children of God, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because you used to be a people, or you used to not be a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First Corinthians, Paul told the Corinthians this in chapter 3, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, Paul says, I've laid the foundation. Remember, Paul was an apostle. I've laid the foundation. Someone else is building upon it. They ordained other pastors and other churches were started, and it was going on even there. And he says, but let each one take care how he builds on it. Because no one can lay another foundation than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on, on this foundation... With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hand, straw, each one's work. If, you, if you're a living, if you're a child of God and, and your life is being uh, lived like that, then there's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hand, stone that's being built upon. Each one's work will become manifest because the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that one has built on the foundation survives, then he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And then he says this. Do you not know that you, that word you, is a plural? You, church, you Christians, are the temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Say, well, doesn't God's spirit dwell in each of us? Absolutely right. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a singular you. But here he's talking to the church, and he says, you are the temple that God's spirit, don't you know this? And if anyone destroys, attacks God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You are the building of God. You are the church. You are the, the, the holy habitation of God. Again, a careful study of the entire counsel of God's word clearly shows that the apostles were for a certain purpose and a seasons, as were the prophets, as was the temple. And we must not confuse the times and the ways that God's wor- God works. And while the church is not a building of wood or stone or metal or sheetrock, it is a building of God. It's a body. Many times the scripture is described as the body of Christ. And as a body and a building is to be fitted together, so is the church. And just like when you look at a well-designed and and built building, a well-connected building, and you say, man, whoever built that did a great job. Just as Peter said, we are to be that building that gives honor to to the builder. He's building it. We are to be together. We are to be working together. We are striving together, worshiping together, serving together, exhorting one another together, using our gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry, not for living in the world, but the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by different waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we need to speak the truth in love and as we do that, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, each member is working properly, and when it does that, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So while we're doing the work and while we're unified daily, Each one of us in our individual areas of life are reaching the lost with the gospel. We're being salt. We're being light. Having a good testimony and word or deed. We're also to do what we're doing right now. And as I'm preaching to the choir, gathering faithfully, unified in the word, exhorting one another, edifying one another, spurring one another to love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10, 24. Let us consider one another. Think about other people in order to stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some people are doing. Some people have the habit of doing forsaking the assembly, but what you need to continue to do is exhort one another, and you need to do it more and more as you see the day, capital D, day of the Lord, approaching. Commentary said this about this, union is strength. Continual assemblings together beget and foster love. 
and give good opportunities for provoking to good works by exhorting one another. Ignatius said this about this, when ye frequently and in numbers meet together, the powers of Satan are overthrown. And his mischief is neutralized by your like-mindedness in the faith. So why is it so important for us to, to gather regularly, faithfully? Why? Number one, because that's what Jesus designed for our lives to be. A building, a body, fitted and fashioned together. But not just to show up, as I said in the beginning. But to be engaged, to receive, to, to, to make sure that we're like-minded, that we're unified, so that Satan has no way to make his way into the church. It goes on to say, to neglect such assemblings together might end in apostasy. People leaving at last. Back in Acts, the apostles lay, lay, lay their hands on them. They receive the Holy Ghost. Notice, without any outward evidence, and the reason why that's important is because there are times that whenever the apostles lay their hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they speak with a different language. The word we have in Scripture is tongue. It's language or dialect. And the reason why that was done, every time in Acts that was done, it was for a sign for those who were unbelieving Jews that the Gentiles could get saved. So that's what ended up happening is God would show, you know what, this is still apostolic age, it's still foundational age. I'm going to show you, stubborn Jews, that I'm saving the world, even Gentiles. And so that's what, that's what would go on. Acts chapter 8, verse 18, when Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given, whoa, now that's what I'm talking about, Simon said. I want that kind of stuff. He offered them money. He said, give me this power also, and anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And here we see Simon the sorcerer. What is he doing? He said, well, that sounds like a good idea, right? That sounds really good. But what was he doing? He was coveting the power that had been given to someone else, to, had been given the authority to the apostles. Now, one might think, well, he was coming from a sorcery background. He was coming from, from, from doing that for Satan, doing that for himself, doing that for gain. And now he sees these good things happening, this good power happening. And someone can lay hands on someone else and something really good happens. They would receive the Holy Spirit. It's true. But remember what he was captivated by. Remember. He continued with Philip, verse 13, and wondered, beholding, looking, seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Hmm, what's going on here? He offered them money. He's seeing this Holy Spirit. The signs and miracles were amazing. He followed with Philip. Man, I want... I want to know what, what your secret is, Philip. And then Peter and John come down. They lay hands on all these people. The Holy Spirit, they receive the Holy Spirit. And they're like, Simon says, oh, what Philip's been doing is cool, but I want that. How much would it cost me to get that kind of power? So that when I lay hands on people, they can receive the Holy Spirit too. See, if you separate them, the first one sounds really bad. If you just read the whole thing and then you listen to his reason so that I can give the Holy Spirit to people that I lay hands on. So Peter then wants to clear up the pure and sovereign work of God and the Holy Spirit in verse 20. Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter because your heart 
is not right in the sight of God. Well, I thought he said he just wanted to do it so that other people could receive the Holy Spirit like was happening with the apostles. Peter continues on. Remember, Peter's apostle. He's the authority that God had given to the church at this point in time. He says, repent therefore of this wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven of you. Your heart's wrong. Your motive's wrong. Your, 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 the inspiration for you asking for this is all wrong. He says, because I see that you've been poisoned by the bitterness and bound by iniquity. Simon the sorcerer had seemingly followed because of greed and covetousness. What he stood to gain from this power that he was observing. Power in the message to change people. And now seeing the, the apostolic power of laying on hands and people receiving the Holy Spirit. He obviously wasn't focused on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not what it was about. He was guilty of coveting the product. And not the producer. It was clear that he was in the flesh. And I'm only going to get point two this morning, but we as people, even as Christians, I believe, can find ourselves in similar places as Simon. Focused more on the benefit or how we're benefited than the source of the benefits. As long as my life is good, then I can praise him. Point number two, blessings are blessings, but nothing compared to their source. And if, if we have blessings, they are blessings. It's, it's good. Thank God for those blessings. But the blessing is nothing compared to the source of those blessings. Had Simon been amazed at the presence of God in him, had Simon been at awe of what God was doing in the lives of other people and seeing the Holy Spirit transform lives, he might have been less enamored in his flesh with what he saw the Holy Spirit did or could do. And that's not to take away from the power that we see on display from the Holy Spirit. It's not to take away from that at all. But we should never allow our flesh right now to be more enamored with outward signs and blessings than we are with inward communion that we have with God ourselves. Romans chapter 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Think about that. There should be no, no more awe-inspiring, more captivating reality in the child of God's life than the fact that God himself is living inside of us. Not that I have something or can do something or can go somewhere. No, every day we should be caught in, in, in holy worship and, and communion and in awe the fact that God has chosen in his grace to forgive us all our debt, to forgive us all our sin, and indwell this tabernacle, this fleshly tabernacle that still draw, is drawn to sin, like Simon, still drawn to the, to, to the world that God is, is, in, is residing in us. That should be the most captivating thought. This mindset, this heart set of, of coveting the product, the blessings only, is defined by Peter of being in a state of wickedness. He uses the word bitterness. What does that mean? He was bitter? He, he was bitter at the fact that they had something? He, well, similar. It, it means bitter envy. It's something that James referred to as well. But he had bitter envy. He was in the grips of sin. He didn't have something they had, and he wanted that in his flesh. So how much does it cost? That was his motivation. Again, James 3 talks about having bitter envy 
or bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I do, I believe Simon is close to the place that Ananias uh, and Sapphira were. Greed, covetousness, and deception. What was he doing? He was wanting something because of how it benefited him in the flesh. Again, it's clear by his motives. By Peter's rebuke in the flesh. That he was, he was not where he was supposed to be. He was not being motivated. I, I'll just give you point three and, and we'll close. He was spiritualizing fleshly desires, action, and speech. And when we do that, that isn't walking in the Spirit. It sounded good on the surface. Hey, I want to I lay my hands on people so that they can receive the Holy Spirit too. How much does it cost to get that kind of power? <laughs> if you put it that way, you're like, oh, wait a second. It's a little off there, Simon. But if you put it at first, and then you give the justification... How much does it cost? Because I don't want to lay hands on people so that they can receive the Holy Spirit and their life can be changed. See what I'm saying? You can spiritualize something that's fleshly. And just because you do that, just because I do that, doesn't mean that that is walking in the Spirit. His flesh was coveting. It's what was driving him. Our flesh controlling our speech and actions is something that we all battle with. But it's not something that we should act on, especially be driven by, especially walk daily by. Colossians 3, in these two, you once walked. You used to be driven by the flesh. You used to be driven by the things that you, you wanted when you were living in them. That used to be your former life, but you're no longer that. I could make some people mad this morning. I'm going to try not to. I've heard a lot of things that were driven by worldly and fleshly carnal desires that were seasoned with spiritual talk. You're not going to worship the Lord on the lake and have church there. You're not going to do it at a sporting event. You're going to have church. You're going to have that assembly where it's been ordained by God the way that God has designed it. And you can sound really spiritual there. You can make it what you want it, but it's not walking in the Spirit. That's exactly what Simon was doing. Well, God, you know, he, we, can, we can worship him by ourselves, anywhere. We can have church anywhere. When you find that in Scripture, please show me. Because I want my heart changed in that, if that's the truth. Just show me, and I'll, I'll, I'll preach differently. But it's not there. The word ecclesia, church, has a broad and, and a concentrated meeting at the same time. And the context with which it's used, it's very clearly means to be called out from something and to something or someone. It's used as a gathering, an assembly, a body, a congregation. As the temple was designed by God, the church is designed by God. The concentrated meeting, meaning, is exactly what's going on right now. We're having church. What does that mean? An assembly, a gathering, ordained by God. In the broad sense, again, it's not only this, but it's the people of God around the world. 
It's his people who are called out and unto him. It's his church that he's building, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to challenge us this morning. I don't know if Simon was truly saved. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It doesn't tell us that he was saved or he was still lost and he had got saved by sight only and not by faith. We don't know any of those. I don't know that. But we do know is that Peter rebuked what seemed to be a fleshly desire sprinkled and seasoned with spiritualized talk. And again, this morning, we have to fight in our day and time to follow Jesus Christ in the Spirit. Because the enemy, as he was working back then to try to destroy the church, is still working now. Let's take these lessons. Let's make sure and hold on to these truths and say, you know what? We are these living stones. We are the building of God. We are the body of Christ. We will stay united in truth. We will gather faithfully. We will march forward in faith, sharing the gospel, being on mission, looking for the, and hastening the day, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, if we will do that, as the enemy throws darts and attacks and tries to do everything he can do as he was doing back then, I believe we'll, we'll, we will see a revival in the days ahead. I believe God's already working in our church. Again, we've seen uh, young uh, kids getting saved. We've seen adults getting saved. We're seeing baptisms. We have people coming and, and, and joining our church. And, and, and God is doing something. And in the midst of it all, there's, there's attacks. Church, let's press into Christ. Let's press in and be faithful to what he's called us to do. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you for your word. Again, we all have what, what our flesh pulls us to. We all have the struggle. You know that, God. And, and this morning we're saying we need your help. We need you to help us. And Lord, we lay down our flesh. We want to mortify the members of our flesh. We want to walk in the spirit so that we can please you. And we know that that's how you're pleased. Is as we walk by faith, um, that, that's, you're honored in that. Lord, help us be the church, the building, the body uh, that honors you, uh, that's precious in your sight, Lord, as, as we live out every day. Lord, I pray that you bless now as we respond to this message. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand as he plays.